David and Goliath by Malcolm Gladwell One sentence summary David and Goliath uses history, psychology, and powerful examples of extraordinary individuals to change the way you think about being an underdog who is either discriminated against, suffers from a learning disability, goes to a mediocre school, or faces any other kind of adversity. My favorite quote from the author is, Courage is what you earn when you've been through the tough times and you discover they aren't so tough after all. Malcolm Gladwell Since last week, Malcolm Gladwell's three most famous book, Outliers, The Tipping Point and Blink, all live on four-minute books. But he's written two more, and they're no less interesting. Sadly, What the Dog Saw isn't on Blinkist yet, and I'll have to get a copy later this year. But David and Goliath is. Once again, Gladwell draws on historic events and the psychology of highly successful human beings to illustrate that being an underdog can more often than not be an advantage. Just like David beat Goliath in spite of being smaller, weaker and much less skilled in battle. Here are three lessons that will change your perspective about what it means to be an underdog. 1. Living in a privileged environment might hinder your success. 2. You can turn your learning difficulties into advantages in other fields. 3. Even if you're the underdog, you can win against big competitors by relying on your unique skills. Ready to take on the Goliaths in your life? No worries, we will get you there. David and Goliath, Lesson 1. Living in a privileged environment might hinder your success. This answers the question, how does growing up in a rich environment really give us an advantage? I'll be the first to come out of the gate and admit this. Growing up with rich parents makes you weak. I come from an upper middle class family, which in today's world means I never had to work for anything really. I never learned what it means to be hungry, both physically and psychologically. Learning comes easy to me. I breezed through school, so when life suddenly started to get serious, I was startled. I'm sure you have friends like this as well. They know they can forever rely on the wealth their parents generated, so they relax and take life easy. But eventually, this slacker attitude comes at a high price. If you're poor and have to work in the family business to earn money for even the most basic things of life, this makes you tough and helps you succeed in the real world later. For example, if your parents send you to a private expensive school where everyone is the teacher's darling, because classes consist of just 10 people that won't really help you learn to navigate an environment with many people, which you will face at later at work. Going to a less privileged school will make getting good grades harder but offer more opportunity to learn from other students and interact with them. David and Goliath Lesson 2 If you have a learning disability, it might actually give you an advantage. This answers the question, how can the people who are disadvantaged in school turn things around for them? One of my best friends in school was dyslexic. Not only that, because of the local accent in our rural area, he also had a really hard time writing texts in proper German grammar. He'd always get an F on his essays for his horrible spelling. But once we were seniors, he started to make up for it with his incredible speaking and presenting skills. He could talk and entertain the entire class about any topic for 45 minutes without a problem after we translated texts together, for example in Latin class. Plus, he went on to become a very skilled artist and eventually studied architecture, finishing summa cum laude top of his class. Gladwell says disadvantages like such a learning disability can often help us overdevelop our skills in other areas, which will make far more than up for it. 
When Princeton University changed the font in their intelligence test to a much harder to read style, the average score went up from 1.9 to 2.45 out of 3 points. Why? Forcing people to read slower made them think longer and better about the questions, thus increasing their scores. Remember the baseball and bat question from Thinking Fast and Slow? That's exactly what this is about. David and Goliath, Lesson 3. Use your own unique skill set to beat big competitors on your own terms. This answers the question, how did David win against Goliath? Last year I could not stop rambling about the Spartans. Spartan Up was one of the first summaries on here. It never ceases to amaze me how those 300 Spartans beat an entire Persian Empire. Gladwell finally delivers an explanation. Interesting statistic. If an underdog army uses guerrilla tactics in battle, it wins 63% of the time. If it doesn't and tries to fight fire with fire, it wins in only 29% of battles. What does that mean? If you're the underdog, don't fight your biggest competitor in their domain. Instead, focus on how you can outsmart them with your own individual strengths. Here's an example I just learned on a free sightseeing tour of London. If you've ever been to Trafalgar Square, you'll see a statue of Lord Horatio Nelson at the very top of a huge column. In 1805, at the Battle of Trafalgar, the English navy was clearly outnumbered with 33 ships facing 41 of the French and Spanish. The reason they engaged in such a dangerous battle was that they knew once the French made it to the English homeland, they would lose because the French army was a lot stronger than the British. But at sea, they could beat them. Thanks to uncommon tactics like approaching the enemy head-on and circling off parts of the fleet, enclosing them with no escape, the British sunk one French ship and captured 21 others, without losing a single one themselves. If you're facing a Goliath and feel like David, don't compare yourself in physical strength, but think about what you can do that your enemy can't and you'll actually have a decent chance of winning. Here's what I learned from David and Goliath by Malcolm Gladwell. I want to shed some light on the baseball and bat question I mentioned from thinking fast and slow because uh, you might not know or remember this example. I also want to tell you a little bit another advantage or or one of the ways basically this this advantage from being an underdog unfolds. Um, and I also want to give you an example of what I've personally done with 4-Minute Books, where I've done sort of the David versus Goliath thing a little bit, I think. Okay, first, the baseball and bat question from Thinking Fast and Slow. So here's, here's the question. Uh, you can buy a baseball and a bat in a set together for $1.10. The bat costs $1 more than the baseball. How much does each item cost? When you think about this question, usually the first answer that pops into your head is that the um, bat costs one dollar uh, and the baseball costs ten cents. But that's wrong, right? Because together uh, it's one ten, the bat is one dollar more expensive, so one and ten, one ten, da da da. That's how system one in your brain, your your quick fire system, your gut basically, gut reaction, um, reacts to those kind of questions, right? It makes a shortcut, it jumps to the conclusion. But actually, the ball costs five cents, 
because if the bat costs one dollar more than the ball, then the ball costs five cents and the bat costs one dollar and five cents, right? So it's five and then one o five, which is one dollar more than five, and together it adds up to one ten. Uh, and that's a that's a trick question, obviously, but that's the basic idea is to point out that you need to go into your other system, which is your rational, your slower thinking system, which uh, Daniel Kahneman in Thinking Fast and Slow calls System Two, to rationally think about questions before you answer them. And so, quite often, our fast mind, our fast system, tricks us into into giving us the answer, and then it ends up being the false answer. And so these disadvantages you have, for example, in learning like dyslexia, they might prompt exactly that. They force you to slow down. And by slowing down, you can actually come up with better answers to or better solutions to problems. So that's the idea behind that. The second part, the advantage I want to highlight is that um, there are many, many quotes around this topic. But what stands out to me is, in the end, it's all the same idea. This, the idea is that if you don't know what's not possible, uh, you just do it or you just attempt it um, because you don't know it's not possible. And in the end, often you end up accomplishing stuff you would have accepted as not possible if you had made the research, but you didn't. And that's the that's one of the core ideas I think in a David versus Goliath situation, right? Um, you don't if you don't look at what's not possible, and you because you say you don't eliminate the option that you can beat this this huge incumbent. Let's say Microsoft, right? It would be absolutely bonkers, bad shit, crazy to go up against Microsoft. But if you're so like you're small, you're you have your own new ideas, you're unique, and if you just don't consider the possibility that it's not an option to win against Microsoft, only then, I think, can you have the guts and the vision and the crazy ideas you need to actually beat them. So um, it's a little bit counterintuitive, but basically, uh, so if you don't know what's not possible, then you might just show up and do it. And um, there are a couple quotes around this. Uh, I think one is, it's, it always seems impossible until it's done. That's, that's one that comes to mind. Um, the other is about people showing up. It's like it all, it's always impossible until someone shows up who doesn't know it, it's not possible and just does it somewhere along those lines. And I think that's one of the huge benefits you have as an underdog. And lastly, very quickly, I did this with four-minute books, I think. So Blinkist is obviously the incumbent in the book summary space right now. They're on fire. They have tons of uh, paying subscribers and customers. But what they didn't do well and what I saw on their blog and what people asked them about in interviews is they really didn't do a great job at SEO. So search engine optimization, people going to Google and then finding their site. Uh, and it's very hard to come across Blinkist summaries on Google. It really is. They pop up very rarely. So I thought, you know what, maybe I can do that. And so basically, I went into an arena that I know they weren't playing in. So I could actually, I don't want to say go up against them because I'm promoting them, right? I'm cooperating with them. But to get some traffic to my book summary site, obviously, it might take away some of theirs. But now it doesn't really because I'm in search engine and optimization and I get most of my traffic, 90% comes from Google. So because my summaries are free and they rank and so that's just a different approach, right? So I built a book summary website even though theirs was is well in place and is flourishing and lo and behold, we can actually survive both, right? So there's place for a David and a Goliath. So uh, just a little personal story here. 
to lend some credibility. Uh, David and Goliath by Malcolm Gladwell. I hope you enjoyed and I will see you on one of the next summaries.